Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. By 2030 in the United States, we won't have coal. We will not have coal plants. By 2035, President Biden has set a target that we will be in our power sector carbon free. That's John Kerry. And I have never been more thankful that that guy was not elected president of the United States. By 2030, no more coal? If you think your heating oil prices are going up now, wait until they have no more coal for you. We are we are good at coal. You got to try and find ways to engage better with coal. But what do you expect from a guy who's so ideologically rigid, pseudo-intellectual, and altogether awful that he'll laugh when talked about Chinese slave labor? How, in, your, in the several months of meetings uh, behind the scenes with China, did you bring up some of those very contentious issues, um, such as use, the use of forced labor in Xinjiang for, uh, for building solar panels? How did you address it, and... How did you kind of overcome that in reaching this final? Well, we're honest. We're honest about the differences, and we certainly know uh, what they are, and we've articulated them. And but that's not my lane here. That's uh, my job is to be the climate guy. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Because the Uyghur Muslims have to, uh, you know do all this work so we can have cheap goods <laughs> and it's hilarious but i i can't talk about that because as long as we can get china to lie to us about climate everything's good and what does it mean that you're you're honest about the differences are you willing to work with a nation that engages slave labor yes or no yes or no it's a, it's very simple the problem is guys like John Kerry lack the depth and rational capacity to be able to handle it. John Kerry is a guy who has, uh, what, what is the expression when you, 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 you fall up? He's an incompetent boob, and yet he has a billion dollars to his name and this kind of title. Is it falling up? Is, is, is that what, it, what, it, what it's called? All right, I, 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 sometimes I didn't think, I was wondering if there was more of a four-letter word for it because that's probably where I was going to go. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Uh, I, I, I'm telling you right now, this, this, this trial with Rittenhouse still going on, the judge is all over the prosecution. <laughs> Getting upset with the prosecutor for, quote, that face that you're making? Uh, I think the prosecution is now doing it so they can claim that the the judge was was biased so they can get a new trial. That's that's got to be it. No other part of this in any way, shape, or form makes sense. This is nuts. And do I have that right? Kyle Rittenhouse's mom is going to do Sean Hannity tonight. No, that's a good idea. It's an awful idea. I literally, it just just came up on one of the TVs in studio. And both of them, I mean, I didn't, I didn't bring it up to Ari. He's like, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, it's a terrible idea. Wait until the trial is over. Do not do this. Just wait. That's all I'm saying. 
But we're going to get into this. We're going to break it down uh, with William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. What did he think about the trial? What does he think is going on? How, how, what is the prosecution thinking? Was the defense crazy to put Rittenhouse on the stand? Uh, all, all of it, every last bit of it, what's going through the judge's mind. He's going to break down what he knows or what he thinks is going on. That's coming up in a, in a little bit. John Kerry, I mean, they're just, they're just laughing off the China problems. LeBron James, he, in talking about uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse, he, he broke down on the stand. He was crying on, on the stand. It was, it was pretty crazy. And people are like, ah, oh, crocodile tears. That was Anna Navarro. Crocodile tears. Garbage. Absolute garbage. But LeBron James, he's accusing Rittenhouse of faking his tears. What tears? I didn't see one. Man, knock it off. That boy ate some lemon heads before walking into court. And he had three, like, laughing emoji faces uh, there. He's an ass. That's all he is. Isn't this the guy who said of, of a police officer that was involved in, in a shooting where he was exonerated? Uh, you're next. This is LeBron James. LeBron James is a coward. He won't talk about China. He'll say that uh, Daryl Morey is uneducated. What the hell is LeBron James? He's allowed to say what he wants. I don't believe in shut up and dribble. If I was giving him life advice, I would tell him to shut up and dribble and then make your investments because you sound like a fool and you come across like an arrogant jerk. And most importantly, you are a coward. You won't speak out about China, but you'll speak out about Rittenhouse. What do you know about this case? You'll notice that until recently, I didn't even discuss the case because it took me a while to, to follow what was going on, to understand what was going on. And now that you understand what's going on, you're like, wait a second. I may not like the dude, Rittenhouse, and I may not agree with him for being in Kenosha on that night. But he's guilty of murder? Hell no. That's not the case at all. That's not the story in the slightest. But far too many people, far too many people, they don't, they don't want to, they don't want to engage that way. They don't want to know the facts. What they want is their emotion. It's a guy by the name of David Levitt. And David Levitt is the guy who railed against Target for the toothbrushes? Look up that story, Producer Ari. Uh, he's a multimedia journalist. He's, a, he's another one of these guys who has got a lot to say. And what he put out into the world is, Kyle Rittenhouse is a worthless piece of blank who belongs to rot, that's how he wrote it, who belongs to rot behind bars for the rest of his miserable blanking life. That's what he wrote. Now, David Levitt is the guy with the toothbrush, right? Yeah. So explain, explain the story, Producer Ari. This guy went to, like, a Target in Massachusetts, and uh, someone put a toothbrush in the aisle that said, like, 12 cents. And so he went up and was like, this says 12 cents. And the cashier's like, well, that was obviously a mistake. It's not 12 cents. It's an electric toothbrush. And he's like, you have to list it. It's the listed price. You have to sell for me for this price. And they're like, no. So then he complained and went on Twitter, and everyone just laughed at him because he's an idiot. He, I think he tried to create, a, he created an account, or there, there was some other thing that went with it. Look, when when you see the electric toothbrush in the twelve centile, uh, maybe you're getting a deal. 
But maybe there's a reason it's in the 12th centile. Neither here nor there. That's who this guy is. He's the guy who wants 12 cent toothbrushes. And he called the police on target. That's what he did. Oh, that's right. That's right. And this is the guy who thinks Kyle Rittenhouse is a worthless piece of blank. I think it's okay that you think that Kyle Rittenhouse is a worthless piece of blank. I'm not going to tell you no. He should be in jail for the rest of his life? Why? Well, the answer is, this is what happens when people think their emotions are more important than laws and facts. And we see this all the time. They don't actually care in this case about the facts. They don't care about the law. All they want is what they want, which is some weird level of revenge, something that tells them that there's justice because they emotionally feel it. What does LeBron James do in the face of actual leadership, in the face of standing up, in the face of saying, you know what, maybe the NBA needs to be strong, very strong when it comes to China. He goes the other way and decides, well, you see, the problem is other people are uneducated. His emotions, he didn't know how to handle that fact. He didn't know how to deal with the fact that he's supposed to stand up strong. He doesn't know how to do those things. So instead, he lashes out emotionally because he doesn't have control of himself and decides that other people are the problem. Why worry about the facts on the ground? In the case of Kyle Rittenhouse, I could just make fun of him, and that'll be cool because the people I'm trying to appease are also the kind of people who don't give a good holy damn about facts. Luckily, we have people like Inez Cantor talking about China, who has spoken very clearly about the slave labor camps and the despicable nature of China and how Nike should not work with China anymore. And he's on CNN. He's like, hey, I didn't want to do this. The NBA forced me to. NBA made me do this because every time when one of the NBA teams or one of the, or, or the commissioner came out and speak, they say, we are encouraging our players to talk about whatever they want to talk about. We are giving the freedom to our players to talk about all the injustices happening around the world, all the you know, human rights abuse around the world. So they give me this right. They told me to do this, basically. But the other thing is, obviously, I, I sit down with uh, you know, people from the NBA, and I even sit down with Adam Silver and had a, a conversation. And I told him, Adam, listen, am I breaking any rules? Because if I'm breaking any rules, Please tell me I'll be the first one to follow every NBA rule because NBA give me what I have, and I don't want to break any kind of rules that you guys have put on. He said, no, you're not breaking any rules. Well, I told him, is, is the NBA against China? Is NBA and Adam Silver and the, all the organizations, you know, the, all the teams and owners, are, are they supporting NS Cantor? They're, he told me, yes, we are supporting you against China. Inez Cantor, not a coward. LeBron James, coward, emotional, not able to get his thoughts together to be able to share what it is that's on his mind in a cogent, logical way. Inez Cantor does. Good. It's important that we note the difference. But we should also note that some people want what they want, and what they want is to burn it all down. This brings us to one of the guys that leads, leads Black Lives Matter 
in New York, Hank Newsom. Now, the story about Hank Newsom is is that you know he he uh, thought that he leads Black Lives Matter in New York, and the Black Lives Matter organization was like, oh yeah 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 yeah, you 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 don't got nothing. But he has stuck around, and in New York, Eric Adams is the new he's the mayor elect, and he's saying he's going to be tough on crime. And here comes Hank Newsom, uh, labeled as the co-founder of Black Lives Matter in Greater New York, saying, you're not going to do nothing or else. If they think that they're going to go back to the old ways of policing, then we're going to take to the streets again. There will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. So there's no way that we're going to let some Gestapo come in here and harm our people. Right? We pray for peace, but black opportunities prepares for the worst. We have people in city council who can create problems for him. We have people in the street who can create problems for this administration by shutting it down. You want to engage in acts of violence because people might get prosecuted for robbing a CVS? Coward. How how else do you describe it? Uh, A fascist? Sure, but coward. I wonder if LeBron James has anything to say about this guy. Because if there are going to be riots, fire, and bloodshed, it needs to happen. Uh, where, where Where do the Brooklyn Nets play? What's their arena? It's a Barclay Center and at a Madison Square Garden. That's where it has to happen. Uh, if you're going to have riots, fire, and bloodshed, it's got to happen where the Nets play, and it's got to happen where the Knicks play, and it has to happen when the Lakers are in town. And it has to happen on the court. When they're done, no one will even remember what the malice at the palace was. That's how it's got to go down. And then we'll see whether or not LeBron James is willing to stand tall and stand up. John Kerry won't stand up to China and their abuses and their human rights abuses. LeBron James won't stand up to China and their human rights abuses. But he's willing to abuse an 18-year-old who's on trial for murder and the facts show that he defended himself. What does that matter? He's lying about his tears. He's mocking this. Let's tack him for that. What does it matter? What does it matter as long as you lock him up and throw away the key? Hakeem Jeffries, congressman from New York, said lock him up and throw away the key. Hakeem Jeffries is a guy who's all about what? Lessening mass incarceration. Putting an end to mass incarceration. That's a congressman who said why should we bother following the law? What's the value of the law? Because none of them have control of their emotions. None of them actually believe in a system. What they believe is their own power and their own might. Their emotional state that allows them to decide what's good and what's right at the moment. They have no moral compass. They have no sense of purpose other than to fulfill their own desires. And those are not people I plan on following or listening to. I'm Tony Katz. And in the story that's going to make you question, why aren't I in movies? Not me, you, but all right, maybe me. There is conversation that Jake Gyllenhaal will star in the remake of Roadhouse. No, God! No, God, please, no! No! 
Yes. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Uh, 1989, Patrick Swayze, Roadhouse. As, as Family Guy makes famous. Uh, Roadhouse is, is, are we at a place where Roadhouse is a classic? Roadhouse is a, is, is, is a Ben Gazzara at his all-time best? So good. So good. It's 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 a fine movie, whatever. Jake Gyllenhaal? Jake Gyllenhaal can't can't compete with Patrick Swayze. You don't believe that Jake Gyllenhaal could actually protect himself. I I have nothing against the man as an actor. I just don't think you believe that Jake Gyllenhaal is is a fighter. Wasn't he in the in the Marvel movie? Yeah. He was also in Southpaw, which is a box movie, and got absolutely jacked, and I believe that dude could beat my ass. You! That he could beat you, he could beat your ass. Sure. Everybody can do that. Who can't do that? Joe Biden at this age could beat your ass. He wouldn't win all the rounds, but it would be a split decision, maybe. I I don't. Oh, oh, Biden would win all the rounds. Absolutely would. Uh, you wouldn't sneak nothing in. You couldn't body blow that man. He's wi- he's wily. He's wily and spry. I'm not I'm not buying this. I am not buying into Jake Gyllenhaal. You're always you're complaining about who was playing Lucy Lucille Ball. You complained about no. That. What I said is I didn't know she had the range. It was Nicole Kidman is playing Lucille mm-hmm. Ball in, in the in the in the biopic, uh, and, and I'm like, good lord! I just I just couldn't I couldn't picture you complained it. Complained about Ariana couldn't Grande and Wicked. You just you you just like complaining about actors and movies. But what I said is that Ariana Grande is a great actress. I just I mean a great singer. I don't know if she's an actress. Notice, I'm saying that I just think it's a weird casting. That's all. There are other things. Wait, you want me to complain about one more? Okay, I'll do it. Chris Pratt as the voice of Garfield. Eh, It's a weird one, sure. He's the voice of Mario, too, which I think is way weirder. Yeah. Uh, Is that a live action, Mario? I don't don't know. And who plays Luigi? Someone else who you're like, really? Let me look. Hold on. I don't remember. All, All I'm saying is I can't see it. That's all I'm saying. Nothing more, nothing less. But maybe he'll do it. Char- I- Charlie Day is Luigi. Oh, oh, now I'm sold. Now I'm sold. Jack Black is Bowser. De- de- was, was nobody Italian uh, consulted? Uh, clearly not. Right? You have Joe Pesci and Danny DeVito, who are both to scale, may I add, and you don't hire either one of them? That's ridiculous. So they're pretty old. All they have to do is put a fist up in the air and kind of jump. That's it. And collect a lot of coins. That's all they got to do. I've got much more to get to, guys. We got a lot going on. And what happened in the Rittenhouse case? Lawyer, Cornell Law Professor William Jacobson is with us next. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. from me for months I'm doing better than I ever was because you think that you found a way around it come on hey, if I may finish your honor I was about to say <laughs> your your ruling on our three motions and uh, other acts motions was there were some gradations there that you were clear that some things were absolutely out and then you left the door open on other things I, I, no. so I, I, I saw that distinction and I thought to myself Clearly, I know this is out, but you left the door open on other things. So I didn't interpret your ruling as this is absolutely never coming in. 
And I have practiced before you, Your Honor. I have filed other actions, motions before you. Your practice oftentimes is to reserve ruling on those until you see the evidence. And I think you even said something to that effect at our motion. I undoubtedly did. So I thought this is my good faith explanation to you. And if you want to yell at me, you can. My good faith feeling this morning after watching that testimony was you had left the door open a little bit. Now we had something new, and I was going to probe it. I don't believe you. That's just brutality. Now, look, I'm not a lawyer, but hearing that, how could you not think that's just stunning? But now we have to hear about about whether or not we, we, we think that this is, you know, is this political? You see, if you're on the political left, this is just a judge who has to be disbarred and how terrible it is. And if you're on the political right, this is the greatest thing that happened. The question here is, what was the prosecution doing in this case regarding Kyle Rittenhouse? And... As we look back on that testimony, we're still left with the stunning question of why Rittenhouse was on the stand, but it certainly seems like to the layman that the gamble paid off. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's great to be with you. William Jacobson joins us right now, a Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. He, of course, has been following the case of Kyle Rittenhouse there in Kenosha, being charged with murder, two dead, one injured. He was there during the Kenosha riots after the shooting of Jacob Blake. People attacking him, assaulting him with skateboards, trying to grab his gun, pointing guns at him. It seems to be a case, as I would see it, of self-defense. Even if you don't like Kyle Rittenhouse, we're dealing with the law here. So we come to you, sir, a man who has argued in front of courts, a man who teaches the law, discusses the law. Before we get into how Rittenhouse looked and how the prosecution looks, do you put Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand? Well, that's a really tough call. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not a criminal defense lawyer, but I'm aware of the prevailing wisdom. And I think that was a, a very gutsy call. I think in hindsight, it probably worked out. But moving into his testimony, the case had gone probably as perfectly as anybody could have hoped. I mean, I'm sure you've covered it. But I mean, the testimony was overwhelming that this was self-defense. I mean, and the cross. So I, it was a very risky move. But these, you know, criminal defense lawyers uh, apparently thought it was good. And one thing people may not have picked up on is when the judge asked Rittenhouse, as judges always do, are you doing this voluntarily, et cetera? Have you consulted with counsel? Counsel at the table um, piped up that his decision to testify is consistent with the advice from counsel. So the lawyers want, felt he would be a good witness, obviously. And I think he was. So you're, if, if counsel thought this would be hurtful, they would have said, we don't advise him to do this. He has the right to do it. But they would have been very vocal about the fact that we don't want him uh, to do this. So they put him on the stand. And, and I agree with you. The gamble really does seem to have worked out. Uh, there is the idea that Rittenhouse came across as believable in terms of the threat against him. And then the other side, which I think is just so much more from the outsider looking in, sir, stunning how the prosecution has dealt with this case. I, I, we'll leave uh, whether or not we think uh, Rittenhouse is believable to the side. Is this a prosecution that makes any sense to you, and where do you see the issues, if any? Well, I think it's a prosecution that, in a sense, had to be brought, okay? Uh, politically, I think this was a political prosecution. I think that the riots and the looting and the fear of what would happen if he wasn't charged I think was just overwhelming. But, you know, 
they should have done their homework. I mean, there are other cases where prosecutors have chosen not to prosecute, Um, you know, most famously in the Michael Brown case in Ferguson. That decision not to prosecute, uh, you know, was very controversial. It was ultimately confirmed even by the U.S. Department of Justice under Obama, who said that the police use of force was justifiable. So you want prosecutors to be willing to make that gutsy call. And this certainly is a case with all the video uh, where they should have held back because they had to know what was coming. They had to know that, you know, the, the guy who was shot in the bicep admitted on the stand that he was pointing his weapon three feet from Kyle, who was on the ground when he got shot. I mean, how do you bring a case like that? You know, uh, so it's they must have had the forensics because it was their own expert who testified that the forensics were consistent with Kyle's story that this guy, I think it's Rosenbaum had his hand on the, the muzzle of the rifle trying to take it. So I don't know how you bring a case like this. Uh, these are not close calls, but you know, a lot of prosecutors say, well, if it's a close call, we leave it to the jury. I don't think that should be the standard. So I, I don't know how this case got brought or once it was brought, I don't know how it got taken to trial. And it certainly seemed, again, as an outsider, you don't quite know what it is that the prosecution was trying to do, especially yesterday, as you heard the questions of Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, questions about, uh, so, so you're not really an EMT, uh, so uh, you, you, you really shouldn't have been there. So the other guy has a, has a pistol, but you have an AR-15. Why did you feel your life was in danger? These are questions that all seem to, to the rest of us don't have any bearing on whether or not he is guilty of murder. It seems rather they just want to engage some level of guilt by association, and that's all there was. And you talk about the politics of it, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. We seem to see more and more of this about cases brought or not brought because of the political pressure. If, there, if, if it wasn't these times, is it your belief that this case never actually comes to a trial? They're like, there's, there's nothing here for us to prosecute? Well, again, I think it's very uh, dependent on who the prosecutor is. But yes, I think if it wasn't the threat of looting, if it wasn't the threat of riots, if it wasn't such a, an a, a obsessive political culture... Um, you know, that I think maybe another prosecutor wouldn't have brought this case. I mean, this is not a case that really should have been brought or once brought and they discovered. And you could say maybe they didn't have all of the evidence. They thought they had enough when they filed the charges, but maybe they learned more things. They got more video. They got more things. They got more medical testimony. Uh, You know, so uh, but that's where we are now. We are now where somebody who is on the wrong side of politics is going to end up on the wrong side of the law. That a lot of those hard that prosecutors don't want to make those tough decisions to not prosecute. Let me bring you this. This was Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand. They're as they're asking him questions, and he breaks down. I once I take that step back, I look over my shoulder and Mr. Rosenbaum. Mr. Rosenbaum was now running from my right side, um, and I was cornered from in front of me with 
Mr. Zeminski, and there were <laughs> there were three people right there. This caused the the judge to take a 10-minute break, and on social media, it was, oh my gosh, he he just broke down, and then people who, uh, for political reasons, said it's crocodile tears, it's nonsense, it's it's garbage, throw him him in jail and and lock him in jail and throw away uh, the, the, the key. The idea of whether or not Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand looked credible. Does a breakdown like this help or hurt? And based on the rest of the testimony that you saw, how do you think it affected the jury? Well, it came across to me as very believable. I think anybody who has had any sort of trauma in their life knows that experience, that you can keep it suppressed and you can keep it under control. But when you go to actually tell your story to people, particularly to strangers, all of those emotions well up. Um, and come out. Uh, you know, I've experienced that, uh, not what he went through, but that similar thing that you don't realize until you actually talk about it, um, how many emotions you've been suppressing. So to me, it was completely believable uh, the way it came up. Whether the jury believed it, I don't know. But I think, you know, it humanized him. Uh, I think that the, not only the facts of what he said were consistent with all the video, et cetera, but, you know, he came across as somebody who didn't go there, you know, looking to shoot up the place uh, and uh, felt traumatized by the fact that he'd been put in that situation. So, you know, again, I don't know how you can judge until you hear from the jurors how this affected them. But to me, it came across as believable and even worse than the mocking of him, the widespread mocking of him for crying um, were some, not all, but some people who started making on Twitter Uh, prison rape jokes, which of course are not jokes. Um, And about that's how he's going to look at his, I I saw one, you know, his first time visiting the prison shower. I mean, really disgusting stuff. I mean, that's the political culture we're in. You know, it's bad enough to mock him uh, for crying, but to then turn that into prison rape jokes. And and that is exactly what it was. It was a joke that Kyle Rittenhouse would be crying in the showers while being raped. And then this woman who put out the tweet refused to admit to that fact. This goes to to the following, which is about like we saw in the case of Nicholas Sandman, something that you followed very closely, where he was after being uh, excoriated for doing nothing wrong in front of a Native American man at the steps of the I think it was the Lincoln Monument uh, in, in D.C., where this man is banging a drum in his face and he's guilty of smirking. Uh, a lot of uh, networks and others went after him, defamed him, and the lawsuits were everywhere. This is happening from CBS Morning News. This has happened from MSNBC and CNN regarding Kyle Rittenhouse. Is he going to have a case of defamation against them a la Nicholas Sandman? Well, you know, he's going to have to point out specific facts that people knowingly in the media, um, you know, misstated. Well, CBS News accused him of murdering two men. There that are kind of prevailing wisdom, even though they're wrong. So I'm not sure you're going to be able to show that level of, of malice. Like the, the, the claim that I've heard even from people sympathetic to him that he, so what? He carried a weapon across state lines. Well, 
Actually, he didn't. Okay, (laughs) the testimony is the weapon was already in Wisconsin. But there's so much misinformation out there that I think you would have to show a level that somebody on TV was not just repeating the common misinformation, but but knew it to be false at the time they said it. So I I think it's going to probably be tough. You know, I think it's going to be tough for him to bring any suits uh, against some of these malicious talking heads. As, as I was saying, CBS News on Twitter referred to him as murdering two men. And I don't think that you can call what happened murder in, in as again, outsider, in a, in a legal sense. That may be just one of many, many things. As you see it, is this going to be a non-guilty verdict or will the defense get what they want, which is a mistrial with prejudice, meaning the case can't be brought back? Well, those are, those are two questions. I mean, it's it's so impossible to predict. I'd say if we get a rational jury uh, result, it should be not guilty on all of the homicide-related charges. I mean, he did possess a gun as a minor against the law, but that's, I think, a misdemeanor. So uh, on all the serious charges, you know, and, and I felt this way, you know, during the George Zimmerman case, that there's no way a rational jury can can find guilt here because once you show self-defense, it's the prosecution's obligation to disprove your self-defense claim. So the prosecution has a, a pretty heavy burden here. They have to disprove your self-defense claim beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't know how you do that on this fact pattern. The second question is, the judge reserved decision on what the judge called a potential grievous constitutional violation by the prosecution, which was cross-examining him until they were cut off on his remaining silent up until the trial. Uh, He has a right to remain silent. You can't uh, do that. That's, I mean, that's kind of basic. And so uh, the judge reserved it because I think the judge thinking is probably you know, the way this case is going, the jury's probably going to find him not guilty. And so I don't need to deal with a, a motion for, you know, uh, a mistrial if the jury's going to find him not guilty. But the judge can always revisit that subject post-verdict and could vacate the verdict on those grounds. Whether the judge would or not, I don't know. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's got a couple of different avenues. Uh, but I don't know how a rational jury, hearing what I've heard, you know, and you, maybe it's different when you're in the courtroom and you're observing people face to face and you're seeing, you know, the faces of the people sitting at the table. Uh, maybe you get a different perspective and that's that's fair. But based on what we've seen televised, I don't know how you find him. I don't know how you can find that the prosecution disproved to, beyond a reasonable doubt his self-defense claim. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. LegalInsurrection.com, sir, it's always a pleasure. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. You know, as we talk about this this Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which I, I didn't think I'd even put this much conversation into it, but him taking the stand yesterday changed everything. It's important to also talk about the Ahmed Arbery trial. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Because as I know the case, this is the guy in Georgia who was jogging in the neighborhood and a couple guys are like, you ain't from around here, are you? And that led to chasing him and and then they, they shot and killed him. He had been in the neighborhood before. 
but he's jogging through the neighborhood or he's walking through a, a house under construction, you might be keeping your eye on a guy, but that you chased him down and shot and killed him. And of course, there's the the, the shooters are white and, and uh, Ahmed, Ahmed Arbery is black. And that's going to get people crazy, of course. The whole thing is a problem. And the case does deserve our attention. And there are a series of people saying that this guy wasn't out for a Sunday jog. He was trying to get out of there because he was under attack. Uh, people who describe it as uh, he, he was trapped. He wasn't able to get anywhere. These guys hunted him down. This case should be looked at. Because there's one thing to say, I, I keep an eye on my neighborhood. I don't have any issue with I keep an eye on my neighborhood. There's a... That's different than I saw somebody who I decided was suspicious, so decided to physically confront them, then chase them down, then shot and killed them. This case needs more attention. I'll bring it to you as I can. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you.